0: Hey everyone, technically you're getting two days in history today because we're running two episodes from the History Vault. Hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers history one day at a time. The day was January 25th. 1890. After 72 days of traveling by train, rickshaw, horse, small boat, steamship, donkey, and various other vehicles, journalist Nellie Bly set foot back in New York to a cheering crowd. Nellie, just 25 years old, had set a new record for her trip around the world. Nellie's unprecedented trip made her famous. Well, more famous. It wasn't her first time at the rodeo. Nellie, born Elizabeth Jane Cochran, was known for being a daring reporter. Take 10 Days in a Madhouse, a series Nellie did in 1887 that pretty much epitomizes her sensational investigations. Nellie wanted to do a story on immigrants for the New York World, a newspaper that was a pretty big deal in the late 19th century. But she got a no on that assignment and was told to see if she could find out what was really going on at the Women's Lunatic Asylum on Blackwell's Island in New York to get into the asylum without tipping people off that she was there reporting, she pretended she was a patient. After a little bit of training, and by that I mean Nellie made, quote, crazy faces in a mirror and deprived herself of sleep, Nellie was ready to convince people she belonged in the hospital. Stereotypes of what mental illness looks like aside, Nellie soon made it to Blackwell's Island, and her experience there was published as a 10-part expose in the newspaper. The horrible treatment and conditions that she exposed led to more investigation of the asylum's practices. Yeah, Nellie's journalism was pretty bold, so it wasn't much of a surprise when she read Jules Verne's 1873 novel Around the World in 80 Days and thought it was a good idea to do the same thing the main character Phileas Fogg does, but in less time. So she went to the New York world and said something along the lines of, hey, I want to travel all the way around the world and write about it for you. And it was 1889, so to say the least, Nellie's proposal wasn't met with glowing acceptance. Her managing editor was interested, but the other guys at the newspaper, eh, not so much. Nobody's done this before, they said, and of course a woman couldn't do it alone. Being the daredevil she was, she told the man in charge at the New York World to go ahead and send a guy, and she'd start the trip on the same day for another newspaper, and beat him. Finally, they agreed to send her around the world on their dime. Nellie gave herself 75 days to travel all the way around the globe. And on November 14th, 1889, Nellie left New Jersey on a steamship headed for England. And the New York Royal made sure everyone knew she was leaving with the front page story on the day of her departure. Little did Nellie know, a journalist named Elizabeth Bislam was also just beginning her trip around the globe, but for Cosmopolitan magazine. Yes, Cosmopolitan was that petty. Spoiler alert, Elizabeth didn't win the race. Anyway, Nellie set off on her adventure with a bag full of just the necessities, plus a jar of cold cream. She went through Italy, Egypt, Singapore, modern-day Sri Lanka, Japan, and other countries, even going off-route to meet with Jules Verne in France. Along the way, she sent her writing back to the newspaper in New York by telegraph cable and by ship. Nellie's travels were definitely eventful. There was a monsoon on the way to Hong Kong. She was proposed to by a guy who thought she was an American heiress. And she bought a monkey in Singapore after resisting the temptation, as she put it, to buy a boy at Port Said and a girl at Colombo. Yes, Nellie was a pioneering journalist at a time when there were few women journalists at all, let alone those who weren't pigeonholed into the women's interest category. But many of her remarks came off as jaded, ignorant, and even casually racist— like when she called beggars in Hong Kong repulsive and compared the plight of U.S. slaves to that of poor people in Mexico City. Nellie was complicated. Regardless, the New York world made a spectacle of all of it. They printed as many stories as they could about her travels, even creating a contest for guessing how long Nellie's trip would take. And readers devoured her worldly tales, increasing the newspaper's circulation numbers. When she landed in San Francisco on January 21st, the New York World chartered a train to get her to New York, where she was met by a cheering crowd. She had made it back on January 25th, 1890, at 3.51 p.m. in exactly 72 days, six hours, 11 minutes and 14 seconds. But despite her contributions to the New York World, her bosses wouldn't give her a raise. So she resigned from the paper and wrote out her success, going on a lecture tour and publishing the popular book Around the World in 72 Days. A few months later, George Francis Train beat her record, coming in at 67 days. But Nellie continued to write, and her sensational reporting left an impact beyond the boundaries of stunt journalism. Oh, and if you think headlines today are super clickbaity, check out some of Nellie's headlines in the New York world. One of the standouts is, Nellie Bly tells how it feels to be a white slave. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can subscribe to This Day in History class on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Chandler Mays, our producer. Come back tomorrow for another tidbit from history. Hi, I'm Eves, and you're listening to This Day in History class, a show that makes time travel a little bit easier. The day was January 25, 1924. The first ever Winter Olympic Games began in Chamonix, France. Initially called the International Winter Sports Week, the International Olympic Committee soon designated the event the first Winter Olympics. The first modern Olympic Games were held in Athens, Greece in 1896. Just five years after the first Olympics, the Swedish Central Association for the Promotion of Sports launched the Nordic Games. The Nordic Games were usually held in Stockholm, Sweden, and included athletes from Nordic countries. The games were held under the notion of pan-Nordic nationalism. They featured winter sports like downhill skiing, ice hockey, and skiing behind reindeer, as well as other sports that weren't winter-specific. But winter sports were creeping into the Olympic Games. Figure skating was included in the 1908 Summer Olympics in London. When the Summer Olympics were held in Stockholm in 1912, Sweden saw to it that no winter sports would be included. That would pose a conflict with its Nordic Games, which were pretty popular. Despite this, Germany planned to stage Winter Games before the 1916 Summer Games set to take place in the country. But those games were canceled because of the outbreak of World War I. The Nordic Games, however, pressed on. Sweden, Denmark, and Norway were neutral in the war. Figure skating and ice hockey appeared in the 1920 Summer Games in Antwerp, Belgium. Two years later, the Nordic Games featured a significant amount of non-Swedish athletes for the first time. But the Olympics were steadily gaining popularity. In 1921, members of the International Olympic Committee, or IOC, brought up the idea of establishing a winter version of the Olympic Games. Of course, Nordic countries opposed this idea for the sake of their Nordic Games. But the IOC pressed forward with plans to organize an international week of winter sport that would be part of the 1924 Olympic Games in Paris. In 1922, a Congress planned out the competition's calendar and sports, which included bobsleigh, curling, speed skating, ski jumping, and other winter events. Chamonix blanc was chosen as the host for the Winter Games. At this point, the competition was not sanctioned as an official Olympic Games. Chamonix agreed to build certain facilities and maintain them, and the French National Olympic Committee helped fund the creation of the new facilities. The winter sports week lasted from January 25th to February 5th of 1924. 16 countries and around 258 athletes participated. Around 10,000 people attended the competition. Women were only allowed to compete in figure skating, and 11 of them did so. Norway got the most medals, ending the week with 17. And altogether, the Nordic countries won the majority of the medals awarded. The Winter Sports Week was deemed a success. Pierre Baron de Coubertin, founder of the IOC, praised the Games in a speech at the closing ceremony. At its Prague Congress in May of 1925, the IOC officially designated the week as the first Olympic Winter Games. It also decided that the host country of the Winter Games would be the same as that of the corresponding Summer Games whenever possible. The success of the first Winter Olympics affected the popularity of the Nordic Games. The last Games occurred in 1926. Victor Balk, a leading figure in the creation of the Games, died in 1928, which also affected support for them. The 1930 Nordic Games were canceled due to weather, then World War II came. The Nordic Games never returned after 1926. After 1928, the Olympic Winter Games were held every four years, the same year as the Summer Games. By the 1990s, the Winter and Summer Games were held separately, in alternating four-year cycles. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can keep up with us on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at TDIHC Podcast. And if you would like to write me a letter, you can scan it, turn it into a PDF, and send it to us via email at at thisday@iheartmedia.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.